Hello and welcome to the Forbes India cover story podcast series in association with the indicas.com. My name is Abhishek and joining me over the phone to talk about this issue's cover is Shishir Prasad, the deputy editor. Hi Shishir, how are you doing? Hey Abhishek, good to have you back. Thank you. And this cover talks about investing in real estate in foreign lands. Tell us what's the story about and how did you conceive it? Well, it was interesting because what we used to do till about a few months ago was we had uh, a podcast which we used to do with Pranay Vakil who was at that time in Night Frank. Now he's retired, of course. You know, he would address various issues regarding uh, real estate. And as you know, Indians love real estate. And it is an asset class which has delivered very high returns in, in various cities across India over the last, you know, seven, eight years. So during those conversations, the germ of an idea sort of popped up. He mentioned that there was a lot of interest from Indian buyers in investing abroad. So it was just a conversation. And from then on, it sort of started gathering steam. We thought, look, if there is enough happening out there, if there's interest, we should do something larger on it. And in due course of time, we figured out that there is a lot of interest. And let me tell you one more very quick thing, which is that normally at the beginning of every year, this is in January, we have our investment special. Yes. And we always tackle various asset classes in that. This year also we'll do one. But what we felt was that since there is high interest and with the coming holiday season, anyway, Indians are going to be traveling, right? People travel outside during the Christmas breaks and all that. We thought it was a great idea to pull that back a bit and present this uh, issue before everybody goes off to the, uh, their vacation. Maybe they could check out some of the stuff there while they're on vacation. So Yes, like you mentioned, it has a few options that people can take a look at from different countries, whether London, Kenya, Cyprus, etc., whether it's a holiday destination or also as a possible investment option. So, so what are the top markets or countries that your research has shown that Indians have historically preferred? So this is in conjunction, of course, with Mike Frank. We've used them as our, uh, in some ways, knowledge partners. And according to the research that they have put out and according to whatever conversations we have had, uh, London obviously happens to be that absolute favorite with Indians. Uh, whoever can afford it, of course. I mean, it's not for me. <laughs> that, that much I know. But uh, whoever has that money in the pocket, because it's very nicely placed and it's right between US and India. Plus, it is a great gateway to the continental Europe from there on. And of course, the traditional ties we've had with England, for instance, play a part there. So that's obviously favorite. Then you've got a nice sort of want-to-invest place, which is Singapore, but it's expensive now. So it's difficult. A lot of Indians like sort of buying property there. We don't have very granular data on these. I mean, RBI does put out cumulative data, but it's very hard to sort of ascertain exactly how much money is going to. So Singapore is interesting. So is you know, many Indians, especially down south, they have trade ties with the Middle East you know, business uh, dealings there. Some of them have bought property in places like Oman, for instance, which is another one which we feature. Essentially, what is happening is that wherever you see higher business linkages, a lot of people figure out that, look, either they have business dealings or they have somebody in the family who's studying there. So you pick up a property there, which allows you a cheaper sort of way to experience the place. I mean, you don't have to spend a bomb on hotel rooms. Plus, the asset can earn some yield if you're not going to use it. So these are some of the three or four uh, places and some of these are the reasons why people are going there. And also, although it's great to invest outside, but I also read that there is a ceiling limit of, uh, I think it's $200,000 beyond which you cannot invest. Yeah, that's for individuals. Yeah, that's right. So that's one route to use. 
So what happens is that every individual is allowed 200,000 investment limit. And of course, let me tell you that's not very easy to access that investment limit. Whatever we know, it's, it's highly cumbersome. So obviously, people who can figure their way around the laws and regulations, when I say figure their way around, I don't mean circumvent them. I just mean that they are able to deal with it. A family of four people or five people can invest up to either 800,000 or a million. That is 200 into five or four, whatever, right? So that's one route. The other route many people do is they set up a, let's say they have a company here. Let's say, for instance, you have an Abhishek Incorporated, for instance, let's say. And you have an Abhishek UK Limited, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of this company. That company, if you capitalize, then that, that company can buy a property. And of course, then that property can be used by the senior executives. It's an asset. It will show up on the asset side of the books. Those are a couple of routes that people are using. So I guess if the property is not very expensive, then the individual limit can be utilized. But if it's expensive and you might need a loan for it, then only option is to set up an overseas sub subsidiary. And then you can even borrow them locally. Otherwise, being an Indian citizen, nobody is going to lend you money. And first of all, you're not even allowed to. You as an individual, I individual, can't approach a British bank and say, hey, look, I want to buy property in London, so give me some loan. So that's not possible. But however, the company can do it. That subsidiary can do it. And, and also, given the constraints or given certain rules, there are certain risks also, right, which come with it. Now, for example, this phrase housing bubble, because we are, again, we are talking about houses here. On Google, housing bubble, it, it correlates up 4 million hits if you put them in double quotes. And not, not very long ago, we had Dubai, which... You're right. Does that come in the way? Should people be worried about it? I think they should be. They should be. It's not an easy decision. I mean, buying property is a tricky business any which way. However, the way to look at this is obviously somebody who is going to invest abroad, first of all, has a risk appetite. I mean, if, if I have, let's say, hypothetically speaking, just about $200,000 of disposable, I'm not going to put it in a property abroad because that puts the entire thing at risk. So obviously people who are investing, they can afford to take that risk, number one. Number two, yes. So if you're buying purely for investment purposes, you should be aware that prices go down. It's not like Mumbai. It's not like Delhi, where prices have generally appreciated up because there's a pressure on, you know, there are a lot of people and everybody wants housing, right? But abroad, it's not like that. You're absolutely right. We have seen housing price collapses across the world. I mean, U.S. being the most famous, but it happened in Ireland. It happened in Spain. So you've got to be careful. You obviously must choose a good you know, advisor, whoever you can figure out from your you know, word of mouth or your research. We give some data as well on price graphs. And one can look at the price trend and to some extent make a decision. However, I go back to the point that you mentioned, which is that it is possible that house prices can correct. So you've got to be careful about that. So it probably it's a property that you buy, you love it. And so maybe you are not interested in flipping it over for just in just three to four years. It's a little more than that to you, perhaps. I think that's, the phrase that you use is important a little more than that to you because I read in the report that uh, many of the customers who go in for a foreign investment already have two or three houses in India where one could be in the getaway and then they want a place, uh, let's say in Singapore, which is a few, only a few hours away. And if the place is like seven or ten minutes from the airport, it, it's a good buy for them. So what percentage of population are we talking about here, roughly, Shishir? Isn't this a very niche audience? Yeah, it's very niche because the data shows that last year, which is the year ending 2012, $62 million got invested through investment in uh, overseas property, for instance. That's RBI data, actually. This is obviously a low number, but of course, it's a huge increase from 2005, which is when I think the scheme was announced. At that time, there was just about $1.52 million being invested. So it's gone up about 30 times. Uh, but it's obviously coming off a very, very low base. 
This is only through individual groups. Must be from whatever we can gather, because if it if it's a company that is making that investment, uh, it won't show up in this. It would be in that that subsidiary's balance sheet. We estimate that it may not be more than 300 individuals. And if you divide it by that 200,000 per person limit, or if you take let's say a four people home, then that four people home can afford about roughly about million dollars, right? If you divide it by 62 homes, actually. So, you know, we're not talking about more than 250 to 300 people here. So, that number is low. But, however, as you can say, the graph is upwards and those who can afford, they're going in front. So, once the property is bought, what are the things that one needs to do to maintain outside? Why? Because you're not going to be sitting there every day. Is buying the house and forgetting about it, like it happens in India, you don't have to, if you have a house in Pune, you might not visit that place if you are living in Mumbai for long. But is it the same when you buy a house outside? Or is there more to it, more strings attached? Quite a few of the locations that you mentioned, they have fairly good legal framework. They have a good law and order situation. A lot of people, what they do is, if they can afford to, they'll probably keep the house for themselves and probably have somebody maintain it and manage it. I'm sure those sort of services are available where there could be an occasional sort of cleanup of the house done, it being kept ready whenever that person visits. Or there are many people who could even just put it up on rent. And rental yields are higher outside. I think the number that we mention is anywhere between 4 to 5% or 6% maybe. That's anywhere between 4 to 6%, which is a slightly higher figure than the Indian number, which is usually about 2 to 3%. Rental yield being the money that you get on rent divided by the capital value of the property, right? I'm sure if somebody can afford a house in Singapore or London, I'm sure they can afford for to pay for the maintenance. Conversely, you know, there is property which we mentioned in our cover, which is in Oman, and I think that's much cheaper, much, much cheaper. And there it's possible to put it up on rent and maybe earn some money on it. And also the tax implications, which can be a big barrier, you know, when you're buying property abroad. But Cyprus is a case where you have a double taxation law. It is That is a freak case, actually. Let's be very frank. Cyprus was mentioned only because it's one of the few countries where if you buy a property, you get residency or EU residency. So you can move out in your European Union. So it's a sort of an investment idea that we've put forward there. I don't think we have a huge number to show that, you know, so therefore a lot of Indians are flocking to Cyprus. Uh, I don't think so. That's just one of those nice-to-known things that we mentioned there. And as far as tax is concerned, I think we feature an interview with an ace tax expert in this matter, Mr. Oswal, and he sort of laid out the legal implications and the tax implications for buying abroad. That's great. And and one final question. If we leave Cyprus aside, because you mentioned that it's an exception, and if you have about, if you had about seven to eight crore rupees in hand to invest in different properties or one of the countries, which one would you choose and why? Well, I think it's time to pay the British back on their own coin. I mean, they came and ruled us for a couple of centuries. So (laughs) it's only fair that if one has the money, we should just buy something there and lord it over the Brits, I suppose. You might just have to bear the cold weather and the rains that keep coming almost every second, that's all. Hey, that's a summer home, right? That's an English summer home. <laughs> English summer home, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Jishit, for your time. Thanks, Abhishek. And all you listeners, like always, you can get this podcast on ForbesIndia.com as well as on iTunes. It's also on TheIndicast.com. It's all free. Check it out. And to subscribe to Forbes magazine or have someone contact you, just message Forbes to 51818.